Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode covers the in the weeds material of Twin Peaks character rankings, uh, order of events, although there's less of that to discuss than usual, and uh, the coffee pie donut motifs, which is also less to discuss than usual. But we did have a longer discussion. My guests, uh, Em and Steve, who joined me just for part eight, this is the only time Lost in Twin Peaks has a uh, guests is this week a podcast but they joined me and we talked about some of this stuff and when we're talking about the characters we get into the discussion of who the little girl might be if she's got another identity in Twin Peaks and um, when we initially recorded this we included some information that comes later um, in in this sort of to, to sort of digest and draw our conclusions and and all of that um it comes in the book that Mark Frost wrote, The Final Dossier. So it's not actually part of the return series. We're never going to discuss that book in this Lost in Twin Peaks format. So I'm going to put a little warning before that part of the discussion. You can determine if you're watching the series for the first time, if you plan on reading that book. Um, I will say, well, I'll discuss in the spoiler section how you should proceed. But, uh, you know, it's not technically a spoiler for the return because... Um, I guess this in itself is maybe a anti-spoiler or something, but we don't really ever get a confirmation within the series about this girl beyond um, what we have, you know, what we know about her at this point, put it that way. Whether she comes back or not, it's not uh, in a context of saying this is this character, um, this is how they tie into the other part of Twin Peaks that we know from the present so with that in mind, um, we're, we're, it's more of like a side trip to the book uh, than it is to uh, later stuff in the series. So I hope that kind of explains that uh, context, and you can decide yourself how you want to proceed if you want to hear our thoughts on that. But I'll, I'll put a little warning before that just in case. The order of events. There's some people on, I think, the Dugpa message board that did a lot of work trying to figure out what order these scenes take place in in the return and i piggybacked on that a little there were a few things that didn't make sense that i i kind of tried to straighten out but this episode that doesn't really apply because the only stuff we see is the mr c stuff and that takes place i believe on tuesday the night of tuesday september 27th and other than that of course we have 1945 the atomic explosion and the 1956 New Mexico sequence. The only thing that is sort of ambiguous in terms of placement is the firemen, the purple tower stuff. What do you and, guys make of that? Well, chronology? also because of Senorita Dido's makeup, she looks like an old film actress. In general, I think the case is made that the spirit world operates outside of time. Like there are human characters who age within that. And I mean, even the spirits themselves, obviously, I think it's just taken for granted that they're representing something that's not really human. If we're trying to be strict about it, the fireman's aging backwards because he's obviously older in this sequence than he is in, you know, the, the Twin Peaks stuff. Right. You have to take it outside that. Now, at the same time, it does seem like this is situated in a certain human historical period. Even aside from the costuming and the makeup and all of that, just the fact that he is responding to the atomic explosion. Like, how do we relate this creature that's beyond time responding to something that's happening at a specific time? And that's where your head just starts to, like, spin. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, beyond that. I, I guess it just comes down to... Uh... Is it predic is, is your interpretation of this scene predicated on their ultimate action, the firemen and Senorita Dido, of sending Laura out 
into the world to kind of be a force of good, if that's even how you interpret it. So if they're looking at this videotape of what's happening or this, this screening, as, as we should call it, of, mm-hmm. of what's happening, is it running at the same time? Is this happening in real time for them or is it mm. sometime after the fact? And then why did we wait until, you know, she was a teenager in 1990 before this was real you, you see what i'm saying so it's well, like and sending her to earth in 1945 but she won't be born for another f- almost 30 years you know yeah that's why like, I there's a her... lot of chronological questions about that <laughs> yeah I, it just has to be allegorical that's, that's why i called the her the golden yeah. ovum she's an unfertilized egg <laughs> <That's>... uh. <laughs> which there was a uterine shaped cloud and a fallopian looking Mm-hmm. That works. Instrument. It does look like a fallopian tube. Well, I think it's significant, and I guess this is like really not part of any section, but it wouldn't really be part of Lodge lore, even the Laura stuff. But it's worth mentioning that with Lynch, so much of the spiritual stuff is connected in some way, usually in like a perverse way or whatever, with sexuality. And it's interesting that he has the girl have like this just seemingly innocent, wholesome kiss with the boy right. before the frog bug enters her mouth. That's definitely seems significant on on some level. We know with Bob the direct way that that relates to like sexual abuse. It's hard to say exactly what this incident happening to the girl relates to in that larger scheme. The kiss with the mm-hmm. the boy. I mean, is it not initiation into adulthood and everything that comes with that? Like. Which is good and bad. So is it is that somehow like a stand-in for losing a, just enough innocence for the frog bug to be able to use her as like a target? One of the things I remember about Lynch talking about himself was like he had a really good upbringing. He there was really no complaints about his his family, mm-hmm. and very supportive and things like that. But he always had this sense of something darker. Like, on, mm-hmm. just on the other side of that, I think you have to be introduced to that or something has to kind of come out of the woodwork for you to start to sense that. Because I, I, I know um, Dorothy Valens, that, that moment where she's walking naked, that comes mm-hmm. from an actual event in his life that he saw that just totally uh, startled him um, to the core and had impact up until this day. And I think um, we all kind of kind of go through that at some point in our, our youth. You know, I, I, everybody has their own personal experiences. I think mine was, you know, the video about Adam Walsh, stuff like that. Yeah. So something you, you just like, kind of all of a sudden no longer a child. And, and then the darkness is just. It sucks because it's, yeah. you're, you're not ready to go there yet. And something pulls you out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great description of that whole phenomenon, I think. And I think that's why that section felt so strong. It felt, even though it was so much more innocent in a way, it felt like connected to the world of Firewalk with me in a, in a weird way, you know? Like it was this coming of age story with like a nightmarish twist to it. Leland Palmer even had his own when he was introduced to Bob. He was a young child as right, well. Exactly, yeah. I'm going to move along now to a few statistical sections. I'll, I'll kind of read these out, and you, you know, if you have any thoughts, feel free to say them. Uh, I've been gathering statistics on the characters for like over a year for the character series that I'm doing, mm-hmm. and uh, that's moving very slowly. Like I'm still in the runners-up stage of that, like a year later. 
but uh, I'm able to use these each week for the episodes because I have them kind of in a Word document. So in this episode, we're only introduced to a few characters uh, for the first time in the series. Uh, the New Mexico townspeople, for example, and it's all like groups of characters as well, like all you know, the the little boy, the the waitress, the mechanic in the, in New Mexico, the band Nine Inch Nails. We are introduced to the MC as well for the first time. And I think among the spirits, the only character who is introduced in this episode is Dido. Like the rest have appeared before somewhere in Twin Peaks. Who's returning to the show after four more episodes of absence? Well, they're all individual spirits. The giant, seven episodes after his last appearance in part one, when he tells Cooper a few things he needs to remember in a black and white space, the experiment, seven episodes after its last appearance in part one, when it appears in the glass box and attacks the two young people. And that brings us to another point to make about characters. There's very few in this episode, especially if you consider them, like a lot of times I'll consider them in groupings. Like I said, like all the townspeople almost as one amorphous character because of the purpose they serve and everything like that. So in terms of ranking um, the screen time, what I've got is there isn't even a top 10, really, if you're grouping the townspeople and the spirits and stuff together. Number seven is Laura. Not so much as like an on-screen presence, but her image in the globe. I don't think she comes up other than that, but she's on screen for about two minutes. If you include that. Nine Inch Nails is on for about four minutes. The New Mexico girl, she's on screen for about six minutes. Oh, look. I found a penny. The number four character in this episode is Cooper, exclusively as Mr. C. He's on screen for about seven minutes. Looks like you're out half a million. And Ray is actually on screen for about eight minutes. Tricked you, fucker. He's on screen a little longer than Cooper. Number two is the townspeople with about nine minutes. <laughs> And then the number one character, if we're considering this collectively, is the spirits of Twin Peaks. They're basically all over this episode. You know, you've got the fireman, you've got D Dido, you've got the woodsman, you have Bob, you have the experiment. Um, did I miss anybody? I think, or you have the jumping man as uh, the frog bug, which is, we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm pretty sure that's what's going on there. They're on screen for about 28 minutes. If you include all of just like the atomic explosion, rippling and all of that, you know, going across the purple waters there's like 39 minutes of of spirit world stuff in this episode and that's definitely more than any other episode has of the spirits this is the spirits third time topping the supporting cast considered collectively uh, the last time was episode 29 when they were number two behind cooper and their first it's their first time actually topping an entire episode cast uh, this is the second time that a non-cooper character has done this in season three since sam and tracy in the premiere, where they were, at least if, if part one is considered alone, they were the number one characters in that episode, more than Cooper. And uh, now in part eight, once again, you have other characters at least considered collectively. Although I'll bet you if you just calculated one of these spirits times, that would also be more than Cooper has, because he's not in this much. In terms of successive episodes with prominent screen time, who's on a hot streak? Once again, no character who had over five minutes in part seven carries over to part eight, except for Cooper, who's been above the threshold in every Twin Peaks entry so far. I do have a section called Coffee, Pie, and Donuts, and that's going to be really simple to talk about this week, because uh, <laughs> the only coffee, pie, or donuts I saw in this episode, I noticed a coffee pot in like, the way background of the diner, and there was a coffee cup on the receptionist's desk, and that's it. <laughs> no pie, no donuts, <laughs> nobody actually drinking coffee. 
Um, we do see a lot of cigarettes, though. Like, if that's the fourth element, then they're, they're in the return in this episode in a big way. Okay, so here comes the discussion of the girl in New Mexico, some speculation about her identity. And uh, as I said, this involves information that comes from Mark Frost's book, The Final Dossier. It I've cut out anything that mentions um, later stuff in the series, so there's no spoilers there for the return. But it will mention something discussed in Mark Frost's book. So uh, take that as you will. If that's something you don't want to hear in advance, you can tune out here and tune in tomorrow for more spoiler-free coverage. Uh, if it is something that you are interested in hearing, stay tuned. Let's talk about the fact that, of course, uh, according to the final dossier, the book by Mark Frost, and comments he's made elsewhere, this this little girl is Sarah Palmer, even though it's never mentioned in the show. Right. So I, we have to take that as fact, right? Yeah, as... That is a great question. <laughs> wait, wait. We... I do. I do. In, but until there's the some next interesting qualifications. Out, right? Yeah. Well, what's, what's the qualifications you have? I think there's a lot of stuff Frost says that Lynch is not necessarily on the same page with. I don't think this is one of them, though, because the way Frost describes, um, you know, he's, he gave a talk right before the book came out where he said, we wanted people to kind of figure out for themselves who this was, but we hope maybe they'd figure it out by the end. And there's also so many details in the episode that it does feel like Lynch and Frost were both you know, in on this. Like, it wasn't something Frost came up with afterwards to explain what they'd come up with. It, it feels like something they had an idea of going in. The qualifications are, first of all, I don't think either, but both of the actresses, or, I'm sorry, both the actor and the actress, and, you know, it's only applicable to the boy if we think he's Leland, which I wouldn't really think anyways. Doesn't make much sense. Yeah. But they're two of the few, like, non-white characters in Twin Peaks, or non-white actors, mm -hmm. I should say. Um, I know the the boy is Hispanic, and I believe the girl. I'm not sure. I think she has sort of an a, an indigenous background based on her name and and some other stuff. That's an interesting casting decision, especially for someone like Lynch, who has been criticized for not casting many uh, actors in Twin Peaks who aren't white. Why would he choose, you know, for the part that actually is supposed to grow up and be a specific <laughs> actress? I do remember doing a little bit of research at the time when we did cover this um, back. In 2017, mm -hmm. I looked into the town that was affected by the atom bomb, mm -hmm. and it was primarily a Latino population there. And in fact, the, there were some pictures of some of the children and the actor that played the, the I can't remember the boy's name. I think he's just mm -hmm. boy, isn't he? Yeah, just boy and girl in the credits. They actually, he looks remarkably like a, a picture of one of the, the children that they featured in that article I was reading. Hmm. There's a lot of stuff in this story that makes it feel, and I felt this at the time, like way before Frost said it or, or anything like that, this kind of has to be Sarah. First of all, she has, uh, she seems to have some kind of psychic ability. She says to the boy, you live in town. He goes, how did you know that? She goes, oh, I just knew, you know, um, or something more specific than that. Like you live near the school or something like that. And she's the perfect age to be Grace Zabriskie's age. And I think I remember on Twin Peaks Unwrapped, they were trying to say, well, maybe this is what's happening to Sarah's, like what happened with Leland, with Bob as a little boy. But it's kind of hard to break down in those terms. The last thing I want to mention is what literally ends the episode, the, the horse neighing in the dark, or whinnying, or whatever you want to call it. Horse sounds <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> uh, there's been some interesting theories about that. And this is something I kind of like because it relates it back to Firewalk with me. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I don't know that I necessarily go with it, 
but there was an idea that, uh, and this had to do with the poem as well, the horse is the white of the eyes and dark within, that the white of the eyes are when you're looking away from something, and that the horse was connected with Sarah because she's looking away from the abuse of her daughter and, and huh. not seeing it. And that's what's haunting her, and that's what's symbolized by all of this. I, I like that. That was an interesting idea, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. I would have never caught that. That was a Reddit thread, I think. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also support this work on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. Tomorrow's episode concludes the week of coverage on part eight. And this uh, part was just recorded. It's my own previous writing on the show. So uh, I'm just going to you know put that there. And it's, it's mostly me talking. But uh, as, as a sort of a farewell to the Em and Steve portion of this, because they joined me as guests on five of these uh, seven mini episodes, uh, originally all recorded as one thing, and then I chopped it up. Uh, I'm going to put a sample of their coverage on Sparkwood in 21 on to uh, this archive as well. So you can hear their initial thoughts on the series back from the summer of 2017. And then at the end of that episode, we'll do a little preview for part nine, but then we're going to take a break for a week, just as the show itself did back in 2017, where it took the Sunday following part eight off and came back after the 4th of July. We're going to do the same thing, take a holiday, uh, take a week off and return with part nine the uh, following Saturday in July. So, uh, or, well, it's already going to be July. It's at at this point that you're listening to this probably, but uh, July 9th. 